Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, uh, we are going to talk about the position that socialists should take on the question of gun control. Uh, so yeah, the Liberals uh, have introduced Bill C-21, which is basically a big bill about uh, placing many restrictions on handguns. Uh, and the purported reason is to combat gang violence, gendered violence, basically, you know, guns bad, violence bad, um, kind of a, uh, yeah, general anti-guns, anti-violent uh, bill, violence bill. Um, this is coming, of course, as everybody knows, on the heel of a series of mass shootings, uh, in particular in the United States. The most recent is, and the most... Yeah, the most the one that probably stands out in people's minds is the Robb Elementary School shooting in Uvalde, Texas, which left 22 dead. That was in May 24th this year. So generally speaking, there's this feeling, uh, you know, even when things happen in the United States, the, the effect in Canada is that something must be done. It's kind of this big emotional appeal, right? Uh, of course, it's connected to this, is that a lot of these shootings that have occurred over the years... Uh, have come from far-right individuals. Um, just to name a few, you have the Pittsburgh shooting in 2018 with uh, Robert Gregory Bowers, who killed 11 people in a synagogue. You have the El Paso shooting uh, in 2019, which was a copycat of the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand, which is a far-right uh, guy who killed 23 at a Walmart. And then in Canada, closer to home here, we had the Quebec City mosque shooting in 2017, Alexandre Bizanet, who killed six, and he was a Trump and Le Pen supporter. So people are entirely justified to be shocked and appalled, and they want something to be done. And therefore, this is actually a difficult issue for the left. We, we need to be clear that it's not, it's, not, it's not straightforward. It's not an easy issue. And the reformist left has basically bent to this... Uh, you know, gun, you know, you got to have a gun control. So, you know, you got liberals like the Democrats and the, and, and the Liberal Party in Canada, but then you also got the NDP that generally supports gun control. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, like I said, it's a difficult issue. What, what sh for socialists, like what do socialists do? Do we, you know, what, what position do we take on the question of gun control? To get to the, so that's what we're going to discuss this week. Uh, to get to the bottom of this, uh, I have with me once again uh, Lane Sheldon Houle, uh, who is an activist with Socialist Fight Back in Alberta. Uh, welcome, Lane. Hello. Yeah, so I know, Lane, you've been researching Bill C-21. Uh, you definitely know a lot more about it than I do, so maybe 
I don't know, you could just start us off by explaining, we can just, like, what's in this bill, and then we can we can go from there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, bill C-21, is, it's an increase in the amount of rules, basically, on handguns. It's not a ban, an outright ban on handguns yet. Uh, it's uh, It's been described by Trudeau as a freeze. So there will essentially be, after it's passed, no buying, no selling, no transferring, uh, of handguns. So people who have them now couldn't keep them until they die. Uh, and then what happens to them is, is unknown at this point. And with it uh, is a whole number of things, uh, including an increase in the, in the penalties that people face for, for firearms offenses. Uh, so modifying firearms equipment, uh, holding illegal firearms, smuggling firearms, that kind of thing. The, the minimum sentence goes from, or the, the maximum sentence rather, goes from 10 to 14 years for these types of offenses. Uh, also is increased powers by of the state uh, and of police to uh, search and seize without warrants in a number of circumstances, um, to you know investigate uh, firearms related offenses, uh, and even to wiretap uh, people who are suspected of, of firearms offenses. And finally, the last thing I think that is included in this law uh, is uh, what's known as red flag laws in the United States, which is where essentially people can ask if uh, or, or can request, make a request to law enforcement uh, to actually seize the firearms of an individual who is uh, suspected to be a danger to themselves or to others. Uh, whereupon a judge can basically sign an order uh, and if somebody is uh, suspected uh, to be, or somebody is basically assumed to be guilty until proven innocent and, they, and then they're subject to search and seizure uh, of their house. Um, so yeah, there's a, a number of things. These things are all contained within it. Uh, there, there are exceptions, of course. Um, so their handguns won't be eliminated from Canadian society. Uh, the police will still have handguns. They're an exception to this rule. Uh, soldiers as well. Um, so armed state state forces, state security forces, essentially, as well as uh, employees of the Bank of Canada or the Royal Canadian Mint, actually, will be allowed to have handguns. And yeah, so if I guess if you're stamping coins, you do need a, a pistol on you at all times. Uh, and then also. Um, the the people who, who drive the the trucks between banks with the the cash deposits you know that drive like the you see you might see a truck that's arm armored uh, has like chain mesh all over it like it looks like it could survive a nuclear bomb uh, the people who drive these trucks will, will still be allowed to carry handguns so so wherever there's a lot of money uh, there'll be still be handguns and, and police and state forces as well Okay, well, thanks a lot. That helps us understand what this bill is about for people that pr probably maybe haven't been following it. Um, I guess the big question, probably on a lot of people's minds, is why, 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 why is this happening now? Like, what, what's the, what's the reason for it? Other than what the liberals say, obviously, quite often, what they say is not the actual reason. <laughs> um, so. I don't know, Lane, do you have any opinion about that? Like, what? why are the Liberals really banging this drum at this moment on the question of uh, gun control? Well, I think, uh, they, you know, they have been slipping in, in popularity. Uh, and, and the fact is, is that gun control in Canada is quite popular. Uh, and this is something that is going to, to win them back some popularity uh, in a lot of people's minds. Uh, as a gut emotional reaction, I think, to, to a lot of these shootings, which... Which is definitely understandable. I mean, the, these shootings are horrific, right? Nobody should be scared that their 
their children will be shot uh, when they're, they're sent to school. Um, but, it, but it really is quite cynical, right? It, it's something like a five-day turnaround. Uh, it, you know, the, the shooting happened on a Tuesday or something, and then by the Monday, um, they actually had this, this bill, which is quite lengthy uh, and quite complicated, uh, prepared and actually, um, you know, sent to, uh, to Parliament. Um, and so, so it is, I, I do think it is quite politically cynical, actually, that they, they had this drafted. They seem to be sitting on it and waiting, actually, for a shooting uh, to, to push it through. Uh, and and try to gain popularity back. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. They, the liberals are masters of political opportunism, of of timing things so that they they get support at the right moment or that they can manipulate. Basically, it's manipu- political manipulation. Uh, so as you said, I mean, it's highly unlike this lengthy, complicated bill that they 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 they. You know, it's it's unlikely that they they just drafted it <laughs> within a few days. I mean, what's most likely is that they were sitting on it, as you said, waiting. So it's opportunist, cynical. It's very cynical. Do they don't act? Do they actually? It makes you wonder. Do they actually care about this stuff? Uh, which I think they care more about their own power and <laughs> and and maintaining power by having the support of a certain layer of the Canadian population uh, than than the actual question of. Of gun violence or, or gun control or shootings or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I think that that that's quite clear, especially after the Uvalde shooting. That was quite shocking to a lot of people. It's not surprising the Liberals introduced this. So now, rather than having a debate about their management of the pandemic, their bailing out of corporations, uh, all matter of betrayals that just you know just after Justin Trudeau has been in power for many years, people know they didn't. They didn't institute electoral reform. They didn't, uh, the environment, they've been bailing out Trans Mountain Pipeline. <laughs> they've been violating indigenous rights. There, There's a whole series of attacks on different layers of the population. Instead of discussing that, they're shifting the debate onto this issue, which is an emotionally charged one, and people are justifiably scared. So I think that that, that helps us understand why they're doing this and why they're doing it now. <laughs> uh, it's useful politically. Um, yeah, but, you know, maybe, f- so you describe what the legislation does in a very, like, neutral way. Like, right, maybe we can get into, like, well, what is the legislation actually doing? Like, what is it, <laughs> what, for, what, 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 what is it doing in the, re- in reality? Like, is it actually fighting, uh, gun violence? Is it going to stop shootings? Uh, uh, I guess, what is the Marxist analysis of what this legislation is actually doing? I don't know. Do you want to speak to this, Lane? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just uh, one quick point beforehand that I that I might have missed uh, is that there's another group kind of caught, caught in the crossfire of this bill, which is uh, it's a, a bit of a smaller group, maybe under flies under the radar, but um, people who who have this hobby of like shooting airsoft rifles or airsoft guns at each other. Uh, I had one when I was a kid. I, I know lots of people did. They, they shoot these soft or not soft, but like small plastic BBs. Uh, they'll give you a small little bruise if you shoot your friends with them, and it, it's a hobby for people. It's actually quite an expensive one, too, uh, but it's, it's essentially over now uh, if this bill passes because uh, the those airsoft guns will be deemed essentially replica firearms uh, and will be banned and will be an arrestable offense to to own, um, and so yeah, they, they've been caught in the crossfire. Um, but I think uh, to the to the other question, the main question, uh, what what does this actually do? Is really is that it's it's a massive empowering of the state, 
right? Um, so that the thing is, is that handguns aren't going away, uh, but actually it's going to be the, the state that actually controls them, right? Is that the police are going to still be armed. Uh, the state security forces are still going to have all of these handguns, uh, whereas, you know, everyday people, firearms, licensed owners uh, are not going to be. And then also the permissions of the, or the ability of the police actually to, uh, to investigate and to, um, uh, to, to invade pri people's privacy uh, on the basis of, of uh, these laws and investigations of firearms offenses are, are massively, massively expanded. You know, people's telephone conversations, if they, if they are registered owners of firearms, so, you know, a pretext can be uh, created uh, and, you know, their phone lines can be tapped, right? Uh, you, can, you cannot have a phone call without uh, an RCMP agent uh, on the other side of it listening to you. Um, they also, if you look into, look in the bill, uh, you'll find that actually the, the ability of the police to search and seize uh, in people's property without a warrant, w without a warrant, uh, is it's quite massive, um, and once again, pretexts can be made. We know that the police aren't uh, entirely truthful and ethical all of the time uh, about uh, the you know their their activity. So they, it it's a massive empowerment uh, of the state, is what it is. And even these like red flag laws, which are designed to to you know say if there is somebody who's in a state of. Uh, uh, of mental health crisis, uh, who who does own fire, who is it's is known to own firearms, and you know is in a in a, a crisis situation. Uh, once again, like a, the this can be used or cynically manipulated either by the state or even by political opposition. Um, you know, if there was some right wing troll that said, you know, for example, like that that I was a danger to myself or, or to other people, th that could be very easily and quickly used as a pretext by the state to actually come into to my house and, and search and seize uh, whatever they find, right? So that, that can be weaponized very simply and legally, right? That's the thing is it's, it, it's legal at that point to search and seize without a warrant. Yeah, so I guess what you've described is a massive, it's giving more power to cops. It's giving more power to the police. And I guess anyone who's listening to this, that kind of due to the the shootings and the, the problem of gun gun violence, that is a problem, uh, is tended to lean towards supporting bills like this. I, I would just ask for people to reflect and wonder, have we forgotten George Floyd? Have we forgotten what happened in the summer 2020? Have we forgotten this mass movement against police violence? Have we forgotten Black Lives Matter? I think that's what we need to ask ourselves. Is empowering the police, is giving more power to the police and giving more gun, and basically making the police the ones with the guns, is that actually gonna help clamp down on violence? Uh, and I, I, I think the, the answer is quite obvious. <laughs> uh, I don't think you need to be a Marxist to understand, to step back and think, wait a minute, no, that is not helpful that is not the that is not the way to combat gun violence we want to combat gun violence we're we are concerned about these shootings as well but is now the liberals are cynically manipulating people to empower the state we'll get into a bit in a minute uh what that means and what the marxist approach to this is uh uh 
but yeah, that's that's essentially what is happening here. And people should really step back and think of what that means. You know, <laughs> it means supporting the police, uh, trying to use the police to clamp down on gun violence. And we should understand this in the general context of the decline of the capitalist system, which is which is starting to it's already tearing tear society apart. Uh, it's driving families into the ground. People are getting more desperate, more alienated, more isolated. And so in this context, that you're likely to see a rise in violence. It's quite, quite common in history. Um, and the question is what we do about it. And the, this is what liberals propose. Empower the capitalist state, empower the cops, who, them, the, who themselves are a per massive perpetrator of violence against the population, oppressed communities, uh, etc. So yeah, um, before we get into the, uh, the socialist position on this, or, 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 or propositions or approach, uh, I'd like to take a, a, brief, a brief commercial break here, as is tradition. So yeah, you're listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, uh, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada. We are part of the international Marxist tendency. We are a revolutionary Marxist international fighting for uh, socialism, uh, international socialism in the world. Uh, we have, in Canada, we have two publications. We have Fight Back, uh, which is our English language publication, comes out every two weeks. And yeah, we have had a number of uh, subscribers over the past uh, over the past week. I'm going to read out their names. So yeah, we're doing quite good. We're really increasing our subscriber base. And I would like to thank everyone. I would like to thank Reed, Thomas, Claire, David, uh, Abhit, Nicola, Ryan, R Rob, Robin, James, Laura, Josh, Justin, Shamara, Scott, Arena, uh, Tevisha, Alexandre, and Farin. Those are new subscribers to Fight Back, so thank you very much. But we also have a French language publication, La Riposte Socialiste, uh, in which we have another seven subscribers. So again, yeah, support our, our, our French paper, which comes out once a month. Uh, yeah, we have Alexandra, Flavio, Alexis, and Naomi, Robin, Alexandre, and Quinn. So thank you, comrades, supporters, friends, for supporting the Revolutionary Workers Press to get a, a genuine Marxist analysis out there to folks. Uh, uh, yeah, and again, I encourage everyone listening to the podcast to please support Fight Back and La Riposte Socialist. Get your subscriptions. Go to our website, marxist.ca and marxist.qc.ca, uh, our French website, to to get your, your subscriptions um, and support support building the forces of Marxism uh, in Canada. So back at it with Lane here on the, qu the question, the socialist approach to the question of gun control. Um, so yeah, I guess we're at the point where we're talking about should we rely on the state? Should we empower the police? Um, I've already made my view clear. I don't think that that's, that's the case. I mean, and this gets, this gets, or I don't think that helps. <laughs> uh, I hope you agree with me as we, we've witnessed, uh, especially in a country like America, but even in Canada, the, the police, the RCMP, the provincial police forces, municipal police forces are, are some of the biggest perpetrators of violence. Um, get, get, get back to that in a minute. But um, this, I guess, from a Marxist point of view, the theory 
The theoretical framework in which we analyze the state is therefore of prime importance. So, uh, and, we're, and what I'm talking about here is the Marxist theory of the state, what the state is. And, and uh, as Lenin described, and this actually comes from Frederick Engels, the state in the final analysis, stripping away all of the non-fundamentals, just to the bare fundamental core of it, it's armed bodies of men and women in defense of certain property relations. And under capitalism, that means that the, the state is, is the armed power of the big bourgeoisie. Uh, that, you know, contrary to what many people may think and what liberals and reformists argue, the state is not a neutral arbiter. It's actually the armed body of the big ruling class, the big bourgeois, to protect their property relations. So it's not, the state is therefore not used to benefit working class people, uh, quite the contrary. And we're seeing that more and more and more, that, you know, in the period of, in Canada, where the, during the post-war boom, where the middle class was created and there was, there was programs basically implemented on the basis of mass working class pressure, and the capitalist boom, that those are now being all starting to be taken away by that very state uh, that was forced to concede them in the past. But the state is not our friend. And in particular, the armed body of the state, the, the police, the military, the security forces, they are not for the benefit of working class people. And Marxists, therefore, don't want to give more power to the state. We don't trust the state. We don't trust that the police and the state can fight gun violence, can fight far-right terror, or anything like that. And we actually think that we need to overthrow this state, which is not our state, uh, and, 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 and build a new society, actually build a new uh, way of organizing society run by working class people. That, it, that uh, yeah, then that's the general Marxist theory of the state. Um, but this, I guess, is related now, that's some theory, if you want to read more on it. I, I, I think you should read uh, Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, the great Russian revolutionary, has a great text, uh, The State and Revolution. Uh, Engels, Frederick Engels, who worked quite closely with Karl Marx, has a great text, Origins of the Family, Private Property in the State, talks about the origins of the state and what it actually is. Uh, so, yeah, I encourage people to really get into the theory of what this state actually is and, 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 and remove from it this this aura of neutrality that liberals try to give it when it isn't neutral. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, that's the theory. I guess we can get back into some of the, the concrete details. Uh, Lane, I know you had some things that you wanted to say about, uh, I guess, the cops today and whether or not we should rely upon them. And if they're actually, are they actually very useful at fighting <laughs> shoot active shooters and gun violence? Yes, I do. Uh, I think I... There, there were a lot of uh, social media posts that went around immediately after the Uvalde shooting about actually the, the performance of the police uh, in regards to that, that situation. Uh, when we saw that the Uvalde police actually really spent the majority of their time uh, outside of the school, the elementary school, uh, harassing parents and preventing them from going in where an active school shooting was taking place. Uh, they they had you know formed a, a perimeter of the school, uh, but then refused to go in. And actually, um, and I saw this from social media. I'm sure it'll be confirmed uh, at some point if it's not already. But the the person who actually shot 
the school shooter or took him down was uh, an off-duty border patrol agent uh, whose child was in the school. There were even reports actually that the police went in early while a perimeter was being formed to get their own children, uh, but not others. Uh, so in regards to like actually the idea that we need the police to keep us safe, to, to keep our children safe, uh, these police are certainly not doing the job. Uh, they, they fail quite quite severely uh, in that regard. So, you know, they're sitting there on the outside of the school tasing parents who, who are, you know, hearing gunshots inside of the school. That, that is absolutely horrifying and preventing them from, from going in and confronting the shooter. Um, and then, and I think the, the simple fact, like statistically, you know, aside from this one incident, is that the, the police are, are not good at preventing gun violence. In fact, they are a cause of gun violence in many instances. Um, in any given year, uh, if you look at the statistics, specifically in the United States, uh, more people, around twice the number of police are killed, uh, or sorry, twice the number of um, police killings take place uh, than um, mass shooting victims uh, uh, in, in a given year. So in 2021, there, there were around 1,050 uh, people killed by cops in the States and 690 um, killed by mass shooters. And in 2020, uh, similar numbers, 1,020 killed by police uh, and 521 killed by, by mass shooters. Uh, and so as far as far as an area of violence, uh, you know, really police violence should be twice the priority, uh, you know, for in terms of like actually tackling gun violence. Uh, unfortunately, the statistics for Canada are not as easy to come by because Stats Canada only tracks fatal police shootings if the officer involved is criminally charged, uh, which in the, in the case of police, the people investigating and charging them will be typically uh their friends or a different police department uh, who does not want to uh, bring about like a big inquiry or scrutiny into the actions of police because they themselves are police. Uh, so the um, yeah the, the stats unfortunately are are not great uh, for Canada um, but some independent uh, investigation done by by CBC uh, CTV and some some other organizations shows that actually the the figures are fairly similar and actually police shootings have increased quite a lot in the past couple of years it, it seems as though like a, around 150 to 160 uh, police shootings have taken place uh, in 2021. Uh, and and that's up from sixty or so, uh, and 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 thirty actually in, in many years, uh, in like twenty ten to to twenty twenty. Uh, so the the police themselves are a, a source of quite a lot of violence. Uh, I live in Edmonton, uh, which has the honor of of hosting the police force, which has killed more people than any other police force this year. And we've actually seen on multiple instances that like innocent bystanders were killed because of, of negligent firearms or sorry, neg negligent discharges by police. Uh, there, there was a, a man in an apartment building uh, who was, um, you know, away from a standby that was taking place in an alleyway. Uh, he was sitting in his, in his apartment and he got killed uh, by in the crossfire of uh, police, uh, you know, going after uh, a suspect. Uh, so yeah, the, the 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 people who were supposed to entrust with with the, all of the handguns now um, are themselves a source of violence, and that's not something that's that's very present, unfortunately, in in the mainstream media uh, or or in you know discussions or criticism of this bill. Yeah, there's also, I mean, in Canada, probably the most recent mass shooting was uh, Gabrielle Wortman in Nova Scotia, who killed twenty two people. 
uh, in 2020, uh, went on a rampage for 13 hours or something like that. And uh, he actually was an admirer of the police. He showed up in a fake police car. And actually, there's a recent commission that's come out. We're not gonna, we can't go into that too much here, but is actually showing that the police repressed information about this and didn't, and obviously didn't act quick enough on this. Um, but they repressed the information because they didn't want uh, of the independent inquiry because they didn't want people taking it out, blaming the police, <laughs> and 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 in instigating violence against the police. So they seem to, and as in many instances, the police seem to be protecting themselves rather than protecting society. So all of the you know, rhetoric about protecting and serving. Who are they protecting and serving? That's the question for us. It doesn't seem to be that the police have a great track record on protecting and serving regular working class people in our society. And and, and based on the Marxist theory that I stated, that, that wouldn't be surprising. And that is not surprising for a Marxist that these things are the case. And the statistics that you've stated I think are, are glaring, a glaring, glaring proof of this. That, And so this really shows us the problem with the liberal reformist approach, which relies on the capitalist state to control the guns and, and essentially empowers the police who, based on these examples we've stated, haven't actually been particularly useful and actually I'd say have been particularly harmful in dealing with active shooters. Um, so yeah, um, maybe... Uh, that, that leads us in the question of like, you know, there's this big debate of what, what is the cause of gun violence uh, in our society, which, which, as you've stated, seems to be on the increase. Um, I think it's on the increase all over the place. Uh, I, I generally think that the debate gets polarized between liberals and conservatives, whereas liberals say more or less that the cause is the guns. The conservatives more or less say that it's not the guns that are the problem, that it's could be almost anything else, mental health or whatever, you know, these people are just crazy, you hear, I think Donald Trump said that, <laughs> everyone was pissed off at him, um, but yeah, what I think that these both, these, this argument is a false dichotomy, that they're both kind of wrong and right on certain things, but, but wrong in general, that, they, be, why, because they base themselves on capitalism, that actually, you can't fight gun violence, that it isn't just the guns, that is true, but, but the guns have obviously have something to do with it. So the, the, the general cause of, of gun violence in our society, of people shooting each other, is, is the crisis and the alienation of, the, of capitalism, of capitalist society. That people feel alien and isolated and driven into the ground and that there's no purpose in life and, uh, and everything sucks and this creates and, and, and exacerbates problems in society. And, and, and especially in America, America is the quintessential capitalist society with very little supports for anybody, very little connection, very individualist, you know, ind capitalist individualism. And this is why you see these, these, these sh just proliferation of shooters going into schools and malls and, and, and whatever. And, and it's not, you know, we mentioned a lot of the shooters are far right terrorists, essentially, like white supremacists or Nazis or anti-Semites or, or whatever. Um, but they're not all political. I think most of them aren't. Uh, that, that, and, and that actually, that shows it, it's, it's kind of baked into the DNA of capitalism. It's not simply a, 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 a right-wing, consciously right-wing thing. That it's people that are just distraught and troubled, obviously. 
so yeah this is the cause is really down to the system and the society that is clearly sick it's a sick society and the, and, the, and and at the root of this is the economics and as capitalism enters crisis um, this is going to become probably more prevalent so uh, yeah this is uh, this is really the Marxist analysis of where gun violence comes from and so uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll get into the the question of whether or not we're in favor of of, of gun control. Uh, but I don't know, Lane. Did you have anything that you wanted to add on on this point of uh, yeah the cause of gun violence? Yeah, I think uh, I think that yeah this is something that's definitely ignored by uh, the liberals and conservatives. For the liberals, it's guns in general that are the problem. Um, Although they do always try to clarify, not legal gun owners, even though those, these are really the only people that they're attacking, is legal gun owners. Um, and then the conservatives will say it's the illegal guns, the ones that come across the border, uh, and that's that sort of thing. And, and there is an established uh, gun trade and drug trade in this sort of thing, but uh, I, I don't think that the conservatives would um, establish the this massive apparatus to monitor every square inch of border uh, in Canada I think that would be pretty well impossible um, but the, the reality is like it's it is the you, you know the this the radicalization that's that actually put, or the alienation that pushes shooters uh, to or you know the just alienated individuals to actually act out like this it, it's it's them reflecting like the humiliation and the alienation of everyday life under capitalism especially I think for a lot of like young people there's a kind of an archetypal shooter. Uh, that's that's evolved in the past decade or so and it's uh, a, a young male uh, usually white um, although not necessarily uh, between and usually like 14 to, to 20 years old and, and you look at these people and you know like just for for that age demographic and you know for for young people in general I think like life is, for them is is not great there, there is pretty much no future and there are a lot of reasons to be cynical uh, whether it's about um, climate change, uh, whether it's about uh, their their prospects in in life, um, you know, whether they'll probably never be able to actually buy a house to to live a, a quality of life that's the same as their parents or their grandparents. In fact, it's going down. Wages are, are shit um, or bad. Sorry, I know this is a family friendly show, um, uh, but yeah, really, the the future is incredibly, incredibly bleak. And if you add to that mental health problems and and just a complete, completely abysmal access to mental health problems, that like the, when these individual and the alienation and the and the shame just builds up and builds up, uh, eventually it, it does have to to come out and reflect somewhere. Um, that that that's all I wanted to say about that. Yeah. So. I think, yeah, well, you need to have a systemic approach to this, a societal approach, an approach that deals with the roots of the problem, not simply the, man the outer manifestation of it. Um, and so that's what socialism is all about. And that's what the socialist approach needs to start with, actually. We need to start from there, not, not deal with the symptoms, because then you get stuck in this liberal conservative debate. Um, yeah, so I guess that leads... That leads into, well, I guess, you know, some people might think, oh, you're just downplaying the problem and you're opposed to gun control, therefore, but the guns are a problem. That's what liberals will say. The guns are a problem. We need to do something about the guns. Uh, so that leads into, you know, are Marxists in favor of gun control? Are we opposed to gun control? Uh, well, we are actually in favor of gun control. The, the question is not 
controlling guns or not controlling guns. The question is, who controls the guns? And as you have probably figured out already, uh, the police and the bourgeois state controlling the guns is actually a particularly horrible idea. It's a very bad idea. And even if you have illusions in that, watch what happens. These laws will be used against the left, against the movement. The police are not our friends. It's the bourgeois state is not... Uh, it's not our state. It's not our government. Uh, so yeah, what what socialists stand stand for and should stand and must stand for is not increased powers to the police and the state and and therefore gun control laws like this one that the liberals are, are proposing, but organized working class controlling the guns. That's what we stand for. Is that we organized working class should control the guns and connected to this is uh, the general decline. The, the kind of decay of the capitalist system, I think produces more social ills, produces more conflict, uh, produces more of all the things that we've just talked about, alienation, shame, uh, isolation, and will produce more violence, gun violence or otherwise, and more con more uh, conflict that the, the uh, society kind of tears itself apart. And, 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 socialists I think today quite often we're fighting against not necessarily uh, liberal ideas or reformist ideas we're, we're fighting against young uh, in, in amongst the youth depression and actually people that just are so downtrodden by the system that maybe some of them reach maybe some of them uh, are a bit messed up and they they do something like that and so the what, what we stand for is we stand for, uh, you know, people need to be able to see a way out of the darkness of capitalism that is dragging society downwards and backwards, actually. Uh, we, see, we stand for a revolutionary transformation of society, a socialist transformation of society, something to be hopeful for, right? And with that in mind, uh, how does that actually come about? Well, you know, Mark, we're Marxists. Marx talked about the history of all hitherto existing society as the history of class struggle. So what we are having now is side by side with barbarism, like the Uvalde school shooting or the port of shooting uh, in Halifax or Nova Scotia, rather. Uh, you see the revolutionary progressive content coming from the working class, the collective organization. We've already talked about this wave of unionizations of Starbucks, which is spreading to Canada. There's another one now that's uh, been unionized. I uh, don't have time to get into it here, of course. But uh, yeah, you're seeing the working class start to organize and rise up. And with that in mind, workers must be able to defend themselves from the far right, from actually fascists, from strike breakers, uh, and from the police. Uh, and therefore, it's not, the police are not neutral in this case, as we've made perfectly clear, I hope. And therefore, yeah, we're not in favor of these sorts of gun control laws, which we used against the future working class, the youth movements, and the future revolution, which is coming. Uh, should have no doubt about that. And we must prepare ourselves for that. And we must, uh, we must propose, uh, oh, sorry, we must oppose uh, any move to empower the police and the bourgeois state. Uh, yeah, we're revolutionaries, <laughs> actually, against the capitalist state. Um, so yeah, I think that that, I hope that makes it clear about gun control. It's about who controls the guns. 
and it's we're not in favor of empowering the police and 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 really uh, people should remember 2020 it's like you know these demands about defund and abolish the police came from this yearning to to move beyond that police and not <laughs> people seeing the police as what they for what they are actually and and that's progressive and we should remember that that we don't want to empower the police they're not useful they're not helpful and actually they're the biggest perpetrator of gun violence so yeah that's the uh, it's about who controls the guns uh, but yeah, Lane, you you uh, you said you had something that you wanted to come in on this question too. Yeah, I know. Uh, to to some people, what Joel might have said about workers defending themselves against police, you know, in the discussions about firearms, might seem like a bit of an outlandish or or an alien concept. But um, you should remember that it really was not that long ago uh, where there were actually class battles and, and even shootouts between, uh, between workers and cops actually, because we the cops were trying to either break a strike or were trying to crush a movement. Uh, we should remember that like the, the, some of the earliest gun control measures in the United States came when black Panthers actually armed themselves against police violence and police brutality. They demonstrated legally, uh, with rifles, uh, in a protest in front of a courthouse, uh, and Ronald Reagan, then governor of California, uh, enacted the the Mulford Act in 1967. Uh, so it, it was it was only when when the the gun owners were not white, when there were, were poor black people defending themselves rightfully against the uh, the police, that actually gun control was brought in um, by by the the right wing, by the representatives of the bourgeoisie, um, and. and you know, even if we go back a little bit further, uh, we think about the period really from from the late nineteenth century to prior to World War II. Uh, in many of these these years, there were there were fierce fierce class battles that took place. Actually, that's uh, you know, especially during the Great Depression. Um, you know, there there was a, a massive amount of, of unemployed people. Uh, that the bosses were were constantly on the offensive, driving wages down, firing people without recourse. Um, and you know, imposing their will essentially on the working class, and uh, class relations were were quite strained, and the workers had to fight tooth and nail for for everything. And this is, I think, the period that really uh, that the that built the labor movement, that actually won the weekends, that won the the eight hour workday, uh, that that won all of these things that really uh, that uh, set the basis for the for the post war uh, boom, or the, at least the rights that we had during the post war boom. Um, and, and brought these demands forward. And included in this period is, is a, a whole number of, of fierce and intense class battles that included shootouts. Uh, one of the more famous ones would probably be, be, probably be the Battle of Blair Mountain, which is a part of, I guess you could say, the Coal Wars, uh, it's called, which, is, uh, which were fights between unionized workers, uh, unionized coal miners, that is, and state security forces in the United States, especially in the Appalachians. Um, and actually private security forces hired by the bosses, uh, also known as Pinkertons. Uh, and it, w- it was very much r- real. It was, a, it was a gunfight that left many workers dead. Um, and you know, workers actually gave their life uh, to, to the cause. Um, and even more recently, um, uh, actually I should mention another one that's, uh, that's quite infamous actually is the Minneapolis Teamster Strike of 1934. This one actually also featured shootouts between armed workers, armed teamsters, truck drivers, uh, and the police. Uh, and and um, actually that's what it took actually for the working class to, to win their rights, to win union recognition, to win better wages, 
to win better conditions and win their dignity. Uh, and even more recently, um, this is not an explicitly working class struggle, but actually an indigenous rights struggle. Actually, the Oka crisis itself, this was only the 1990s actually, but the, the Mohawk were armed and actually had shootouts with the police right in the 1990s. And, and that's what it took to actually stop uh, encroaching development. So this, this idea of actually the working class arming itself um, in self-defense against the state uh, and against the bosses is really not so far off and not so unlikely because to be honest, uh, in since really 2008, since the, uh, the, the crisis of capitalism has, has become more acute, the bosses have been pushing to go back to the 1930s in class relations. Uh, this this 40 hour week that, that I just mentioned, I, I don't know a lot of people who actually live it. I know that there's a lot of people with two to three jobs who are working 50, 60, 70 hours at multiple jobs, uh, who, who are working far longer than eight hours, working unpaid overtime, uh, who, who don't have benefits uh, and who, who don't live uh, with, with a, a secure, uh, nice, cushy job. Uh, the bosses are, are really pushing to go back to 1930s uh, class relations, you know, where, where workers could be fired on a whim, uh, where private security is hired to uh, prevent strikers from holding hard pickets. So if the bosses want to go back to the 1930s in class relations, we need to go back to the 1930s in tactics. That doesn't mean shootouts right away, of course. I'm not saying, you know, we need to have shootouts uh, with, with the police, but we do need to actually uh, form hard pickets, uh, militant strikes, uh, defy injunctions, this type of thing. If we actually want to win, uh, th this is what is required. Um, there's a a phrase I've heard a few times in, in reference to strikes, uh, you know, this is uh, often trade union tops saying that they're not, they're, they're trying to justify actually not fighting, not taking the, a militant class position. They say that we're not in strike position. I never want to hear this again. Uh, if the workers are ready to fight, then you're in strike position. I think it really is as simple as that. Uh, and and going and actually having that militant uh, attitude and, and developing a militant tradition is what it's going to take uh, to win. So uh, these class battles are not far off, I don't think. As the crisis of capitalism continues, we're going to have to fight quite a lot harder to maintain the same um, standard of living. Yeah, and on that, I think, uh, well, one thing you mentioned, the Ronald Reagan introducing gun control against the Black Panthers. Might surprise a lot of people to know that, but you can look it up. the The NRA supported that. They you can <laughs> you can look it up on Google. The the National Rifles Association, which is usually the the biggest anti gun lobby, uh, was completely in favor of supporting taking away guns from people that they didn't like politically. So it's a political question at the end of the day. It's not about gun control or not gun control, to be honest. Um, so. Uh, it's about yeah. It's again, again. It's a class question. It's about who controls the gun, guns. And in the general perspective, you know, we are in favor of, uh, we're in favor of a peaceful revolution. We believe that with the size of the working class, especially in North America and countries like Canada and America, that that the size of the working class, the overwhelming preponderance of the working class, especially in the big cities, would would, if the working class is conscious of its aims and it moves, that the revolution will be could be peaceful, could be entirely peaceful, could be largely peaceful. Uh, but we'd be fools to think that we should arm the police and give the police more powers to fight gun violence. Uh, uh, yeah, that 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 is not that is not the solution, and that is basically just arming our enemy, right? Um, 
Yeah, so we must, the, the working class has the right to defend itself. It's talking about defense against an enemy power. Um, and that's what we should, should see the state as. And therefore, we are not in favor of gun control laws like this. And I guess that flows into... Oh, Can sorry, Lane, you want to say something here? Yeah, really quick. Just about, about not trusting uh, the police with firearms. I, I just have this note here. That's, uh, I'd highly recommend anybody actually go and look up the acronym for their city's police force and then accidental discharge and then search that. Uh, and you sh you'll see why we shouldn't really trust police with actually the, it's, you know, with, with, with the handguns or only the police with the handguns. Because you see, like, the, the police don't have this, this culture of, uh, of safety uh, that a lot of people think they do. Um, you know, of course, I just mentioned that uh, there was an, Edmonton, an innocent, innocent man in Edmonton who was, who was killed earlier this year in an apartment. Uh, but in Kingston, like, like uh, last month, I think two weeks ago, uh, actually, there was a, a cop that actually was seriously injured when another cop accidentally fired his firearm uh, in a training exercise. And this happens constantly. Uh, I looked it up for Edmonton, uh, and there, there was one who was killed a number of years ago in an incident like this. Uh, there was one who was injured last year, um, and, and I think there was a cop who shot, him, who shot himself in Toronto uh, like in February of this year. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, the this culture or this idea of trusting the the cops with the the handguns. I I, I don't know if trust tr cops would want to trust other cops with handguns because it seems seems like a serious safety risk. Yeah, I mean there was even what comes to mind is the shooting of Chantal Moore with a mental health check. Um, indigenous woman shot by the police. Uh, that has actually happened again and again and is quite common. So yeah, I think, yeah, in question of gun control, it's not right. It's a question of who controls the guns. And I guess, yeah, just to, I guess we're almost done here. We can to finish off. It, get, it gets back to, like I, uh, we've repeated a few times here, like the question of having a, a, a systemic approach, of approach of like the whole society as a whole and with capitalism in decline, the society's kind of, you know, social peace is over, class peace is over, uh, the social contract is over rather, and, and, the, and the capitalists are going back to that era of, of brutal class force, that uh, a, a brutal class oppression and, uh, and, and, and having to back up their their profiteering off their their right to make profits off our backs, uh, having to back it up and you know in the past during the they 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 were able to do this with ideological means and and they could you know the system was a bit more healthy healthy it was a bit more profitable they were able to to to, to shower some of those uh, or they they you know give a bit of of gifts to some workers here and there but now you can see that all of those things are being clawed back and with the system in decline. The, the capitalists will be forced more and more to back up uh, their system with, with the state, with the police, right? And so uh, that, that is really what we're talking about. We're talking about a return to that epoch of, 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 of classic epoch of class struggle. We should prepare ourselves for that. And so, and, and really to go back to like, how do you fight uh, gun violence? What do we do about this? Uh, well, we believe as socialists, and this comes back to the question of how do socialists approach this question. We be, we believe we need to build, we need to not empower the bourgeois state, not empower the capitalist state. We need to overthrow it, and we need to overthrow the capitalist system, and we need to build a socialist society where people do not want to kill each other, where everyone's taken care of, where no one feels 
alienated or isolated and downtrodden, right? And people don't do this to each other. Uh, and really, yeah, so the solution to end gun violence at the end of the day is connected to the socialist transformation of society, to put an end to this rotten system, this, this horribly rotten system that is dragging us all down into barbarism. And really that's a socialist approach must have that as its aim. And if you don't have that as your aim, you're pretty much just, a, you're being, a, you're a liberal at the end of the day and, and you're accepting a false dichotomy on this question. So yeah, that's the socialist approach to uh, ending gun violence and, and to the question of gun control uh, as a whole. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the podcast for this week. Two things to uh, mention, to plug here at the end. Um, two big events for the uh, for fight back and for uh, the international Marxist tendency. I just want to we mentioned it last week. Want to mention it again. Make sure everyone must register for these events. Must attend these events. First things first. We have actually in Edmonton. Lane will be there. I I, I unfortunately am not able able to make it. But we have the Western Marxist School. This is the biggest Marxist gathering in Western Canada. This is a huge thing. We're, we're aiming to have over 150 people there. The theme is the fight against imperialism. You can find the details on our website at marxist.ca. If you are not registered, uh, if you're considering going, I highly encourage you to take that step and go and to commit. And, and honestly, after the Zoom period, this is wonderful. Having meetings in person, discussing with real humans in 3D <laughs> is, is a wonderful experience. And I encourage everyone to get out and attend the Marxist Winter School, which is on the weekend of July 2nd and 3rd. So coming up here in, I guess, two and a half weeks. So yeah, it's going to be a wonderful event. And I encourage you to register for that. Please register, especially, uh, you know, if you're, if you're close by, it's easy for you to get there. You should get there. And I, I even encourage people from out, out east to head out west. Uh, you should go go to Edmonton for the Mar uh, Western Marxist uh, School. It's going to be a wonderful event. Um, the yeah, and we really want to build that tradition. So we have a big Marxist school every summer, uh, as a, and and it serves as an educational moment in, in in Marxist theory and perspectives for the class struggle today. Um, the other event that I wanted to mention and plug again is a huge event. It's an international event. It's called the International Marxist University. Now this will be four days, July 23rd, uh, 24th, 25th, and 26th. Uh, and this is going to be online, so there's no reason not to attend it. Uh, and, and really I think you, you, you have to you have to attend this event. It, the first time we had the International Marxist University was in 2020. There were 6,500 people who registered for this event from I don't know, countries, hundreds, hundreds of countries uh, around the world. I don't, I can't remember the exact number. Uh, this year, we already have 1,800, more than 1,800 people registered from over 100 countries. So, and and as Canadians, we're trying to do our part. We had 450 people register from Canada in 2020. We're aiming for over 700 this year. You must be one of those 700. If you are not registered, go to our website, marxist.ca, and register for the International Marxist University. 
which again has a, a list of amazing presentations on the fundamentals of Marxism, historical materialism, the, the Spanish uh, conquest of, uh, of Latin America, the Marxist analysis of that, uh, the primitive accumulation of capital uh, that led to the capitalist system. Um, yeah, and many, many, many more presentations. So I highly encourage you to register. If you have not already, you must register for the International Marxist University uh, today on our, at our website, marxist.ca. You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.